Hi there. Let's see video details. So I posted it with um it got removed. Violates our community guidelines. Um, empty classified folders. They, I, I'm the victim of uh, reporting so that they can uh, scrub the internet of any dissenting voices, any critical voices of Trump. You know, I'm sure, absolutely sure of it. Um, you know, with all these Trump humping uh, uh, trolls, Russian trolls that as I pointed out, I'm pretty sh I'm absolutely sure actually that he's writing off he's he's like he what he does is these smear campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. And then he writes it off. So basically we taxpayers are paying for his fucking hate speech campaigns. Smear smear campaigns. Mm -hmm. Hateful ideology. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. Um, because of their protected attributes, we remove content that promotes hateful ideologies because they are incompatible with the. It's not. I'm a fucking comedian, bitches. Appeal received. Um, but in, in the write up, this is what they don't want. Because what I do is I I take all the opportunity I, to, uh, with my writing. You know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Yes, that's what they're afraid of. And I'm I'm a gifted writer. <laughs> so, and what I'm doing is um, putting into it that, uh, you know, commentary, uh, blistering social and political commentary that they just don't want, like... Uh, so he packed the boxes himself. Okay, wait, hold on. Uh, it, it's it's um, you know, I make comments. Christ, Christo is like this uh, this creator, this great YouTube creator. So um, so he packed the boxes himself, and Alex Cannon, his lawyer, told Nara, which is the National Archives and Records uh, Agency, for the Nara is is um is trying to get their documents back you know our documents they're our documents nara you know like for um the presidential records you know the the archive of the president he stole thousands of thousands of documents and uh, over a hundred were um is that what top secret I I've never heard it used that in for this, but <clears throat> no, he uh, he uh, withheld. He, he's still withholding boxes of stuff, and uh, they know. And also, there were forty eight folders that were empty, classified folders that were empty, and he just tried to extort the Department of Justice, Ben Mate. Get this, he just tried to extort, do like a deal with the. With the Department of Justice, say like I will give you these these two um, folders that I shouldn't have in the fucking first place um, in exchange for um, um, in exchange for January sixth. Um. About the Russian collusion, he wanted to trade. He wanted to trade Russia documents, um, Russian secrets for American secrets to the Justice Department. <laughs> yeah, balls. Yeah, there was um, who was it who said that? Oh yeah, it was James Carville, who's this uh, who was Clinton, Bill Clinton's campaign strategist, really talented guy. And um, he said that uh, Trump is acting like, uh, you know, trying to knock the door down to get into the jail. 
Anyway, it says, uh, okay. Trump was trading U.S. for Russian secrets, hence the 48 empty classified folders. Absolutely outrageous. Everybody do your job as an American. Call the Department of Justice now, 202-514-2000. I'm absolutely sure that the main reason he stole so many top secret documents is what they were incriminating. He did collude with Russia to steal the election. So they don't want this shit to get out. And um, I'm posting this like if I post like a little, um, if I post anything, I'll just like jam it full of these facts. Everybody should know this stuff. Um, because, uh, you know, even uh, Jimmy Carter was saying if they, if there were an investigation, I'm pretty sure that they would find that uh, Trump colluded with Russia in 2016 and 2020 elections. Jimmy Carter said that. Most peaceful dude. Um, I bet you anything, even the billion dollars that Trump owes the Nazi Deutsche Bank, Chinese Communist Bank, and Russian Mafia, I would bet you all that, that those documents, thousands of documents he stole, were so incriminating he might get the death penalty for being the worst criminal in human history. I think his only chance of surviving this, treason, terrorism, sedition, insurrection, you name it, is to have himself declared criminally insane. That's the only way he can avoid going to the electric chair for the heinous crimes he has committed against us all. President, hashtag President Jim Jones, wake up America effing idiots. Are you kidding me? Senator Ted Cruz is useless Trump butt kisser. <laughs> LOL. Everybody call the Department of Justice demand indictments for Trump, Fox, and 147 GOP traders like Cruz for orchestrating January 6th insurrection. Read the Constitution, 14th Amendment, idiots. No traitors in Congress. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder they don't want that to get out. Hideful ideology. It's fucking comedy, idiots. I'm going to turn that into an Instagram feed. Oh, no, no, no. And, and a tweet. What I should do is, um, you know, I'm going to post it on a couple. <clears throat> should turn it into a, a Instagram <laughs> reel. As like a band. Um, you know, they banned it on TikTok. This, uh, this got banned on TikTok. So all I got to do is like post real
see what's up with my mom. Right. You want to go with us? Go where? Walmart. Oh, tonight? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Isn't she going to bed? Yeah. Depends if she's wide awake. But it might be too cold for her. <clears throat> Right. What do you know? Okay. <clears throat> Weekend show. You know, then so be it. Lots of, of, you know, information. You go, well, it seems kind of true to me. Mm. You know, and then you start going around and telling other people that. And it turns out, well, some of your friends don't really want to hear you talk about that. So they stop seeing you. You start hanging around with the friends that are more inclined with this stuff. You start watching videos and forming parasocial relationships with people online and, you know, uh, groups and whatnot of people that believe similar ideas to you. And you've actually radically changed your social connections as a result of being drawn into these information networks. And that in turn has a big impact on your identity. You know, who you are, what you believe is so much in dialogue with your social relationships. So for me, that's kind of the, the unmeasured underlying force that we need to become much more competent with uh, understanding and comprehending because it isn't about disinformation it's about how it changes us socially it's about how it changes our identities because the more that we become drawn into radical beliefs you know circles and social networks the more radical we in fact are and uh, you know that's going to lead to political violence it's going to lead to intolerance it's going to lead to uh, you know, upheavals and uh, anti-democratic and illiberal movements taking hold, and that's exactly what we see. The internet has forced this to be sped up. Without, if, if you remove the, the internet from this entire equation, Dave, I mean, Al Qaeda never had a headquarters. It existed online, effectively, right? It was, it was, it was a know fractions and they were brought together because they had the technology to do so i mean if and i hope tim berners lee is not watching this because you know he'll take full <laughs> i don't want him to take any more responsibility but the yeah, invention of the, guilty already I, I think he probably does why it's why he doesn't go out much the the invention of the internet has encouraged political violence it's encouraged extremism it has enabled these organizations like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, to communicate not just in their small groups. And, you know, think about how they did it before the internet. They would have to have, like, they'd be pen pals, effectively, right. or they'd have a meetup. Right, very slow. So, in your opinion, as a technologist, I mean, how much responsibility does the internet take for this huge shift to the, to the right or to, the, the, you know, what used to be the fringe becoming the mainstream? Well, I think the internet, um, you know, is an accelerant. It's a catalyst, like you say. It makes everything go faster. It also reaches everyone, almost everyone. Um, so, you know, the idea of whatever was going to happen, happening a lot faster and reaching everybody, um, you know, that's, I think, the, probably the biggest factor to consider. Now, you know, that said, um, it also made it very easy for all sorts of actors to reach people with whatever kinds of messaging they wanted. Provide, and that, in turn, you know, has given an opportunity for people to be riled up and, and radicalized in different ways for a whole variety of reasons, um, you know, worldwide. 
the other thing I think that, you know, bears some responsibility is that there was a real sense, and I remember being part of this, you know, back in the 90s, there was a real sense that, you know, if we could just get everybody connected, that magic would somehow or another occur, and you know, good things would happen. So, you know, you had John Perry Barlow with his declaration of cyberspace independence and all this, the idea that, you know, it should be left alone, and almost a very libertarian kind of mindset that, you know, somehow or another, information and the market for information and the free marketplace of ideas would result in some sort of magical outcome. And I think that what we've seen now is that that's just not true. <laughs> you know, it has led to a lot of weird, uh, you know, kind of fractal uh, side effects that uh, nobody could really anticipate. But just seeing and, something in you know, print, doesn't that authenticate it? I mean, this has always been my opinion. You know, decades ago, before the internet, if you wanted to have a voice, in England, we would have to write a letter to the Times newspaper, which started, Dear Sir, if you had an opinion, right? And there was a one in a million chance that it would be printed. And if it was, you were like a local celebrity because, you right. know, as an ordinary person, your opinion suddenly became part of the national conversation. Now, everybody has a platform and everybody has a voice. And so, yes, it's more democratic, but it's also much more dangerous because if you see something in print, i.e. on the screen, and it's got a, you know, let's say it's, I don't know, it's on some kind of uh, website, Rumble or something, you know, just the layout gives somebody's uh, crackpot opinion or authority because it's suddenly in print, even though they typed it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, this lack of gatekeepers, um, you know, has put a lot of responsibility on, you know, independent media producers like, you know, you or me, who are trying really hard to be credible and, you know, make sure that we, you know, sort of conform to all of the conventions of, uh, you know, this medium so that, you know, we are, can be trusted voices and there's so many voices that really, uh, you know, don't even bother to, in fact, are, you know, trying not to conform with any of those norms. So, you know, I mean, I think it's, that's a definite challenge. And, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, that's certainly a, a, another piece of the landscape. The other thing that, you know, I think we see exhibited again and again is the sort of drifting into cult behavior. Um, and so one of the main things that I've had to do um, as a result of working in this space is become extremely familiar with the history of cults and how they work. So I work very closely with a guy named Steve Nelson, who's one of the leading experts on cults. He's been on the show a couple of times. Steve. Okay, yeah. I, so, I, I, you know, I recently I, watched your interview with him, and I do recommend it. It's, it's fascinating. But yeah. isn't it crazy that, like, he has come into his own now, as a, as a you yeah. know, given a lifelong study of cults, because cults was a word that we didn't really make that much use of, and suddenly right. it seems to be... Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's truly the um, kind of defining paradigm of this moment, because this is this thing with social capital and radicalization, is that, um, you know, we are basically pushing people, you know, people are being drawn into cultish social formations. And, you know, I have some analogies that I like to use with this. It's similar to, you know, like the, uh, the theory of gravity, you know, the, the idea of people sort of being drawn closer into each other with tighter and tighter social social bonds to the point where it's very, very difficult. And we are different from atoms, and atoms don't have agency free will, but you know, humans do, and so we can figure out ways to unwind ourselves from these high-gravity situations. But, you know, cults are a little bit like uh, social black holes in that regard. And what we've got right now, you know, with the Internet operating the way that it is, is kind of a machine for making black holes. And, uh, you know, that's that's a very dangerous kind of phenomenon to be uh, witnessing. Let's talk about January 6th just for a moment. This is after uh, this chap, Jeremy Joseph Botino, has agreed to cooperate with the Justice Department's investigation of the role that the Proud Boys leaders played in the moment in the Capitol building. They say that his cooperation could actually ratchet up the pressure on other Proud Boys to
but it turns out that it was these militia groups, which you could also call cults, who were operating via Michael Flynn, and, and we're probably going to find out, aren't we, as this investigation rolls out, but they were basically waiting, not in their militia costumes, their military guard, but dressed just in like regular black clothing, to open the floodgates, to remove the barriers, to fight the police, to then allow regular citizens to kind of go in and do the rest of it. I mean, it's kind of clever, isn't it? But it's also pretty terrifying because there's been a lot of rumors for years about the black bloc and various groups who show up at protests. Donald Trump has used this initially with January 6th. You know, the, the, the right wing was saying, oh, well, it was Antifa that showed up. You know, I mean, let's just talk a little bit about how these uh, cults and these militia groups are infiltrating government, but also how government, in the case of the Trump administration, is making use of these. Roger Stone had, had Oath Keepers as his bodyguard. Yeah, no, I mean, you've got all of these different, um, you know, subgroups that have been deployed in different ways. The thing, and I, this really wasn't, you know, totally clear until after January 6th, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of analysts, myself included, felt like that January 6th, you know, was a potentially dangerous situation because you, you did have a lot of these kind of right-wing type folks planning to be there. But... I'm so fucking tired of uh, understatements. Really except for to fight with left-wing counter-protesters and that sort of thing. And given that situation, so many left-wing counter-protesters were told, do not go to Washington on January 6th. So the hypothesis was that there wouldn't be much of a conflict because the, the opposition wasn't there. And so these guys could go parade around and rally and whatever, but it wouldn't amount to much because we, everybody assumed that the Capitol and other targets that potentially come into play would be defended. And, you know, what I think nobody really counted on was that there was going to be a kinetic warfare plan to uh, actually infiltrate the building, uh, to, uh, you know, potentially compromise folks on the inside, either, you know, we still don't know what the deal was with, like, Charles Flynn and why the National Guard wasn't sent for so long. That's the brother of Michael Flynn, who so far has not lifted his head above the power. Yeah, so we just don't know, you know, even now, uh, why there wasn't more of a defense of the Capitol, because, you know, there's really no reason why that, that facility could not have been properly defended. Um, it just seems like, you know, there was both, uh, you know, lack of resources initially, and then when there were more resources needed, they were delayed. So, you know, but the very clever strategy that they did, in fact, looks like use was, you know, to basically, you know, use a mix of these different groups. You know, you've got uh, the Oath Keepers, the First Amendment Praetorians, the Proud Boys, um, you know, a variety of others that were actually kind of active units in terms of you know, planning and executing a, a siege of the facility. Um, and then they were given cover by all of these randos, you know, the QAnon shaman and all these other crazy people who were, you know, frankly, victims of a, a, you know, information warfare. And they turned up, uh, you know, thinking that they were being part of some sort of populist thing. But in fact, it was a pretty carefully planned, you know, military-style coup that was, you know, failed, but it was certainly attempted. And um, so I think, you know, we'll find, you know, with this fellow, uh, Bertino, you know, he's uh, pled to uh, seditious conspiracy. So, you know, that's that implies others, that implies that he's going to name names and provide information that will help to root out the rest of that particular conspiracy. Um, and I think, you know, we'll see similar things happening with the Oath Keepers folks, too. I, I was hypothesizing that a lot of this is going to end up at, at um, the, the door of the, uh, the, the president's chief of staff, mm. Mark Meadows, right. his cell phone, which I think is going to yeah. turn out to be well, the most crucial piece of evidence in this entire thing. That and also the, uh, you know, Secret Service messages that apparently have been now recovered 
and are in the possession of the January 6th committee. So I haven't been you know, focusing on the play-by-play of all the things that are being found out there, you know, more than, uh, say, a lot of people have. But, um, you know, because there's a lot of people that are active, actively tracking all of that, and I'm kind of focused on the on some of the more pressure-oriented stuff right now. But, um, yeah, you know, it's um, it definitely I think we're going to get uh, some pretty good idea of what went down there. And it looks like, you know, a lot of the people that were involved are starting to cooperate, um, which is good to see. It's interesting that you separate Russia from January 6th, because there is an argument to say that they're intrinsically linked. Kind of the same thing, yeah. And, and, and that Michael Flynn is the linchpin. As we know, he had these meetings with Russia. He, he is somebody who has communicated with Russia. He lied twice to the FBI about, about communications. Uh, he then got a presidential pardon in the last few days of the, of the, of the Trump presidency. He's now going around the country with his own, he's, you know, created, it's called the- Another blistering. Reawaken America tour. Launched by Michael Flynn. He, let's just be clear, he's the former White House National Security Advisor. Well, for a couple of weeks. For, for, a, for a couple of weeks, yeah. But he very much remained in, in that role in a, in a kind of unofficial uh, way, I'm sure, because his communications would suggest that. Um, with this, he has now teamed up with an Oklahoma entrepreneur called Clay Clark. Uh, this all started.
few months after the insurrection and um, attendees and speakers at these events that he's been hosting um, they still Assist against all the evidence that Donald Trump rightfully won the election. And, and these events are becoming increasingly uh, religious. Uh, they are a little bit like those um, kind of evangelical Christian arena yeah, shows. Rivals, right. So just explain where, you know, the, the, the anomaly that is Michael Flynn. I mean, he really is, but considering he's like a four-star general or something, right? He's been in the military yeah. for, for decades. How many other Michael Flynns are in the military? I mean, it's, I mean, certainly his brother, but I mean, this is insane. No one seems to really talk about the fact that this was a guy who was very much at the top of the, of the U.S. military who has turned out to be a complete lunatic. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a traitor um, by any conventional measure. And, um, you know, one of the things that I documented shortly after January 6th was just how many military and intelligence people, uh, both active and retired, uh, had been promoting messaging, you know, related to QAnon and promoting January 6th and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's, I just, in a fairly casual uh, survey, you know, was able to identify something like 40 or 50 people. Um, and, you know, that's the visible people that are out making media and, you know, talking in public and networking with these, uh, you know, kinds of folks. How many other people are, you know, sort of heads down a little bit more quietly on the inside? There's, you know, various other kinds of movements. Uh, there's something called the Order of the Nine Angles. That is kind of like a weird, you know, sort of Satanist type movement that's, you know, trying to infiltrate the military. And they're doing so with the express purpose of getting training from the U.S. military and then using it against the country. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. You know, and so there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on, and uh, it's quite disturbing. Um, I think, you know, it's easy to perhaps, uh, you know, I guess get into a frenzy over it. I, I don't want to overestimate the problem, but I also don't want to underestimate it because there is a serious issue here. And we keep finding evidence of folks who, uh, you know, are uh, really, you know, not uh, acting with in good faith or with the country's interest or with, you know, our global interests at heart. But the and, extreme uh, effect of this is Biden says, OK, press the nuclear button. And the person sitting there goes, no, I'm a fan of Russia. I yeah. mean, that, that, that's that's where this could end up. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, you know, the worst case scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to consider, I mean, even in the case of Charles Flynn, um, and, you know, look, I don't know, you know, what's going on with him. I don't have access to his personnel records. I don't know what's what he's been interviewed about. And, you know, I'm sure that this question has come up in some kind of way. And Michael but, Flynn you know, won't answer any questions about his brother. I've seen yeah. a few times people have put a microphone yeah. and said, what about Charles? And he, he literally cancels the interview. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Charles is in charge of the U.S. Army Pacific Command. He's based in Hawaii. Uh, he would have purview over the Army's activities with respect to anything having to do with China and Taiwan. And we really don't know, you know, the public doesn't have a good sense of where his loyalties are. Um, you know, he appeared to have been in the room uh, when the decision to not send the National Guard was made on January 6th. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the input into that decision, we just don't know. The Army actually lied about that. Uh, when asked about it initially, they said, no, he wasn't in the room. But then later they, they corrected themselves and said, well, no, actually he was. And so, uh, you know, it's a black box. And, and I would love for President Biden to, uh, you know, request that the Pentagon clarify his status. And, you know, like, what would be the harm, just for example, of putting the guy on temporary leave for six months and reviewing the situation. And then if there's absolutely no issue and we're totally sure he's okay, put him back or maybe put him in a different role. I don't know what the right answer is, but maybe uh, send him off with Lewis DeJoy of the post office and let them take a vacation together. And, uh, yeah, they should go know. off somewhere together and let's put some other people in place, you know, so it's <laughs> that kind of thing.
Yeah. Um, I just want to talk a bit more about Michael Flynn and this Reawaken America tour. It's now carried its message. Of Right, so I'm appealing. Let's see, let's see. Authenticity and chit. Authenticity. Um, let's see here. What else are recording? You gotta be careful and check. Um, and appeal them. So I, I think so. You don't get um, reported and strikes against your account. Okay, I'm going. To, I don't see any more yet. Five hundred fifteen followers. behavior. Oh, what's that? Did I hmm. remove the video? Okay. Let's go back to the show, Trista. Of a country under siege to tens of thousands of people in 15 cities and towns. Um, it's like a traveling road show and a recruiting tool for an ascendant Christian nationalist movement that's wrapped itself in God and patriotism and politics. It's grown in power. It's growing in influence inside the Republican Party. And it's all about Christianity, which they say should be at the center of American life and institutions. And we've already seen you know, with the with the packing of the of the Supreme Court and the decision on on and whatever else is to come there, but also suggesting that America is some way under attack and having to restore the nation's Christian roots. I mean, that is in direct contrast to what the Constitution says, which which says that that nobody should be forced to practice a religion that is of their choosing. I mean, yeah, I mean the founding fathers were expressly. So this is a very complicated question, but the bottom line is that I believe that Flynn is using this you know, as a very simple kind of information um, There was a document that one of our colleagues uh, goes on Twitter about Galveston. She found a document from 2012 
uh, you know, so much of our time and our lives to really fight for those values and those ideals. Because, you know, from our perspective, like, we, we can't ever, you know, achieve those kinds of actual things in practice if we abandon those ideals. So defending the ideals is actually super important. So, you know, I think the answer to your question is kind of, yes, there's all of those things happening at once. And, uh, you know, our, I think the hope that people like, you know, I and others have is that we'll be able to uh, steer this very large ship, you know, in a, in a better direction and hopefully uh, get closer to living up to those ideals. Just finally, the, the irony of this is that they say that the 2020 election was one of the most secure in history, and um, because there was the fear that of you know all of the fear that Trump and everybody else had like, put into it, so it, it was secure. Uh, Trump's desire to take these results to the courts uh, resulted in the court saying, "Sorry, there's not enough evidence here. There's been no evidence that this is secure election ever, it has dented America's democratic standing. Well, I mean, you know, consider that uh, up until January uh, 6th, 2021, uh, you know, we were very much in a position to take pride in the fact that we had always had a peaceful transition of power. It was no longer the case in 2021, and that was a real blow to our system of government and to our own self-image and to the reality of the American you know, government. Um, so I think, uh, you know, uh, while our election systems are in fact pretty good, there's also, you know, the, the, the public perception and the right. idea of, of what it means to be governed. But can and, easily, you know, in order for democracy to be deemed fully successful, you know, dead. most of the people you know, or at least you'd want pretty much everybody, you know, like 90-some percent of people to agree that, you know, the system is working properly and that, you know, the outcomes are fair and that they were truthful and all of that. But and isn't right that now, Trump's legacy? You know, Trump's legacy right. is, well, if I don't win, then it was rigged. That's what right. he said. And that's what, yeah. what J.R. Bolsonaro is saying now, copying yeah, the very fine. same rhetoric. Yeah. So, no, so could, could we, is it fair to say that of all of the horrific stuff that went by during the Trump administration, not least the Sharpie, except in the direction of the hurricane, that, that, that <laughs> claiming that there was election fraud... Yeah, what about the Sharpie was, thing? <laughs> ...is actually the, the, the greatest damage that that individual, individual has done to the United States. Yeah, I think that's among the, the most, uh, you know, damaging things. I mean, certainly... The assault on reality, the assault on truth, the idea that, like, truth is a subjective thing, I think, you know, is, is very much the realm that we're in right now. Um, I do think that, you know, reality has been kind of asserting itself, and we've been chipping away at aspects of that. But, um, you know, it's going to be a long battle to, to come back from this. If we do, I mean, we may just settle into some kind of new reality where, like, there is, you know, people just say what they want, and who cares? But... Um, hopefully we'll be able to come back. Well, no, uh, so-called libtards can't say what we want. Just sit down. Yeah, the fucking Trump, um, Russian Trump trolls. People can find you if they want to look you up and read more about you. Yeah, sure. So, um, I am at davetroy.com. It's kind of my main page for just links to all of my different work. So, uh, I'm also at davetroy on Twitter. Um, and I'm uh, starting a new column for Washington Spectator that'll be out monthly, um, and also publishing long-form work there. I also have a podcast uh, called Dave Troy Presents, which is available on all of the major podcast platforms. Great. Thank you. Dave, appreciate it. Uh, don't Thank forget you. to subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast, and also the 5-Minute News Daily Podcast, which drops every morning. So you can hear me telling you what's happening around the world, whilst you make your morning coffee. I'm Anthony Davis. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories no, you to discuss me on the 5-Minute News week. Weekend Show with Midas Touch. Hmm. Have you heard of Executive Order 14067? Most people probably haven't, but it could completely upend right. American life.
You see, section four of this order is set to completely... see her so what'd you guys think of that <laughs> it's always great what I think about it mm. got the modest let's see what else is going on Trump's plan exposed breaking Trump plan to extort DOJ with trade Classified docs for Russian docs. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, and this is a breaking news alert. A bombshell report this morning states that Donald Trump had told advisors and lawyers Share close to everybody. him that he would trade the top secret classified record. People! Exclamation point. Documents relating to the Department of Justice's prior investigation of him and his According to a <laughs> 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 steel to be ball bearings. Yeah, she was feeling kind of smoky again, so I gave her some CBD. She wanted to go, and then she didn't want to, and then she wanted to, I don't know. You want to go? Classified records that Donald Trump has stolen would be 
offered to the Department of Justice, essentially being used to extort the Department of Justice and say, <laughs> we will only return these classified records and these top secret documents. Oh if my God. You return Americans are so us stupid. Documents that don't belong to us in the first place. Put up with all the shit. Relating to your investigation. I thought our country was stronger than this. You know, our Russia. systems. So that was our so called dem democratic sources, way of life. Uh, familiar as well with what was going on behind the scenes leading up to the Unbelievable. That was executed at Mar a Lago. Trump had been repeatedly told by certain lawyers like Eric Hirschman and others that there was serious legal what do you exposure know? to stealing these records and to not giving the records back, but Trump would respond, mine, these are mine, and I am not giving them back. I mean, that was literally what he said, mine, they are mine. They absolutely are not his. Um, the article by the New York Times also detailed the cavalier would be putting it nicely, but the unlawful, haphazard way in which Trump would take records and bring them into the residence of the White House and then bring them in different locations and then people in the White House <laughs> yeah. were very concerned in real time yeah. when yeah. he was actually in the White House about how he was handling the records <coughs> and where he was bringing the records and they were trying to keep track yeah. of the White House lawyer, a former White House lawyer got the everything I said turned to go taking these documents with him and not returning them to the National Archives and not following the law. Oh, my. Uh, oh, my. One of the things that we also can glean is Indeed. that another White House lawyer, oh. a younger lawyer by the name of Alex Cannon, uh, previously testified with the uh -huh. January 6th committee. This was a lawyer who, according to reports, Trump had told uh, to lie that he never had classified records or he didn't have records. It was just random stuff, but nothing to worry about here. Um, and to, to be told Alex as well uh, <laughs> to confirm that <laughs> Alex had done a search and that there were no more records that were found at Mar-a-Lago after uh, 15 boxes. For show, man. The archives uh, on or around January 2022 when Alex Cannon Megan Roman? Yeah. I already made some. Uh, I whipped up some. Uh, in Taiwan, it's called Danbing uh, egg cake. Danbing. Uh, it's. It's. Yeah, it's like. What I often eat. Like so make my own tortilla and some scallions and eggs and, and uh, a little soy sauce and pretty yummy. Basil from the garden. Provide expanded insights to help you make confident admissions decisions hmm. and preserve hmm. your institution's reputation. We go for bike rides. We go for bike rides. We go for bike rides. I wonder if Moneymaker realizes. You know how there are these laws against people having pit bulls in their city or whatever? So they say, hey, no, sorry, this is not a pit bull. It is an African pig dog. An African pig dog? <laughs> yeah. It's a cross between a pig and a dog. It's not a pit bull. Hmm. It's a rare breed that you just haven't seen before. You think that'll work, bad mid? <laughs> Depends what state you're in. <laughs> it's the state that's uh, maybe where it'll work in a state where 
it's not illegal to have a pit bull. Yeah, those those dogs that can get uh, if they're not treated right, it's those just like people, you know, if they're not if they're raised with like hostility and, and like resentment and hatred or whatever, and you know, kids then they'll grow up to be shitbirds, just like dogs. Like the bastard don't need no bath. What you crazy? No, he. He bathed himself so much all the time. All the time he bathed. He lick, 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 lick. I don't have to do anything. He's short hair. He's short hair. He take good care of himself.